Well, we're going to continue a conversation on what, is, what does Jesus say is great or greatness in his kingdom? Uh, I really encourage you to look, listen to the podcast last week or go on our YouTube social media. Um, we kicked off, Jesus calls a little child into his midst. The disciples are like, wondering who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus calls a little kid and he says, unless you change and become like one of them, you'll never, A, enter it and you'll never experience the greatness of what it means to be a dependent child on a loving, benevolent father. And so we unpack just what does it mean to have a, a, a joyful, childlike, wholehearted trust and dependency upon the Father. If you continue the narrative thread from Matthew 18, you read Matthew 19. And last week we saw a rich ruler come before Jesus and he calls him good and he's been a good law-keeping man, but there's something lacking in his heart. And Jesus looks at him, Mark tells us in Mark 10, he looks at him and he loves him and he says, man, the thing you lack, you actually cannot get or earn on your own. You're going to need my help. But in order for me to help, you're going to have to let go of the thing that you're holding on to, that you're drawing your, your sense of purpose, identity, significance. For him, it was his money. It was his wealth. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't conceive of how he wouldn't know who he was apart from what he owned and what he possessed. And, and so last week, we really just challenged our, ourselves to just let go and and I love what Jesus said. He said, when the disciples saw this, they're like, well, if that guy is not saved, how is any of us going to be saved? Because in their culture, if you had money and you were blessed and you were law-abiding, then God's hand was surely on your life. And Jesus said, with man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Aren't you thankful God does not call us to do in our own strength what is humanly impossible? It's called his grace and his power and his spirit. And so what I loved last week where the Lord led us, where we, we confess together, Lord, we don't know how to let go of the white knuckle grip of the things, but will you help us let go and surrender and yield to your Lordship? How many believe God wants to help us if we're honest with, what, with things that we're holding, but we know we want to trust him and believe that life really is to the full when it's surrendered to his Lordship? Amen. He'll help us if we're honest. The only category of people he can't help literally is the proud. He opposes the proud. But the humble, the contrite, the repentant, those who are being honest about how hard it is to trust and to let go the difficulties and complexities of life, if we'll just invite him into that honesty, he already knows our mess. He made allowance for it. He knew it when he sent his son to die for sinners like us, to make us saints who would resemble the image and likeness of his son. So, Become like a child. That was last week. That was a five too long because this is a full message here. But we're going to continue the conversation where we are going to trace the thread of what Jesus calls great or greatness because all of us want to live life a, a great. We want to be great. We want to experience greatness and fullness. So uh, just for some context before we get to Matthew 20. This is right after the rich ruler, so we're continuing the narrative thread. Peter answered, after they see the rich guy go away, and they're shocked that he's not in the kingdom, Peter chimes in, we've left everything to follow you, Jesus. What, what, what will there be for us? I love Peter. Love Peter. Rich dude leaves away sad. They're like, okay, our whole grid on greatness and who belongs, who's in, who's out, we need to... You need to help us here, Jesus. Our world's kind of 
you just shattered our minds. And Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Not bad. And everyone who has left house, houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for, read it with me, my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. So let's just retrace. So Peter's like, well, we left everything. Unlike the rich ruler, what, what's our reward? What's, what's, what's coming for us? Did you know God is not, doesn't blush when we think, when we ask him, God, what is the reward of, for the righteous? Did you know that he's a cheerful giver all the way down and all the way through? I know many of us, maybe we feel awkward when we think about the blessing of God or, or the, the rich reward that comes for the faithful, but God is not ashamed to say, if you'll trust me with everything, wait to see what I'm going to pour out in the age to come. Did you know how amazing it's going to be, the fullness of what he's promised us for those who will, who will trust him in this life? And so just to summarize, at the renewal of all things, you who have followed me will sit on thrones with me. You'll judge the 12 tribes of Israel, and you'll get a 100x reward in the age to come. Who would take that? Thumbs up. Like, I'll, I'll take that. That's pretty great, right? <laughs> That's your reward, Peter, and disciples, past, present, and future. If you'll trust me, you'll, if, you'll, if you'll let me occupy the place of preeminence and the priority of your life, you have no idea what I have reserved for you. Like, you can trust me. Uh, with, with delivering on my word. But here's the problem. At this point, the disciples did not understand that their king was going to die. Even though he told them twice that he was going to Jerusalem, they could not comprehend Jesus being that kind of Messiah. We all know they were hoping for another David, you know, with a huge sword, big army, rid the bad guys, kick Rome out, cleanse the temple, and bring God's uh, inaugural uh, eschatological reign. They, they couldn't conceive that their king, the guy that they're backing, was going to die a gruesome death. Why is that? Well, Jesus told them earlier in, in both Matthew 16 and Mark 8 that the disciples had forgotten to bring bread after he'd already fed 5,000 plus women and children. And he said, watch out, be careful, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now, how many know he's not talking about actual yeast? He's talking about the leaven, the, the, the yeast of their teaching. Amen? And so the disciples had been leavened by the yeast of Herod and the Pharisees, power and performance. Herod, power. Pharisees, performance. So they've been leavened. They've been, they've been raised in this culture of, of a version, like we said last week, in a vision of what greatness, what power, what possessing looks like. And so how can Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, go and die and lay down his life and, 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 and take on the weakness of crucifixion? They just, they're, they're so leavened. If you read, I just read this morning in my devotions, um, uh, early this morning before um, thinking about the message, I was just doing my gospel readings, and, and it, I just challenge you to go home and read Mark 8, 9, and 10. Those are incredible. It's called the way passage in Mark's gospel. But what I, what I, what's so startling throughout that little three-chapter sprint, because Mark is always in a hurry saying immediately, um, is how blind and deaf the disciples are. <laughs> they just don't get it. 
How many are thankful we're in good company? We don't, we don't always get it. We've been leavened by other yeast. We, things have caused us to build worldviews and patterns of thinking and behavior that are out of step with the king and his kingdom. That's why we need each other in the journey of discipleship, to be transformed by the what? By the renewing of our... How many need their mind renewed on a daily basis? How many... <laughs> If I'm supposed to take every thought, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, every thought captive and make it submit to Christ, then how many think we need help for every thought? Because every thought's an opportunity to be leavened by some, something other than the yeast of God's kingdom. And so they, they're like, you're not going to die. What are you talking about? Because they've been leavened by a different version and vision of what is great, what is, what is powerful, what is significance. So Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, and on his way, he took the 12. This is now the third time he's told them he's going to die. You, you are going, we're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised to life. So a little child, a rich ruler, who's going to be saved? We left everything. What's in it for us? Third time, guys, I'm going to die. This is, the, this is the train we're on. We're headed up to Jerusalem. And here's the next episode of greatness. That's why I wanted to give you the context. Maybe that was a little bit too long, but it didn't just pop out of nowhere. It was in a context of the passage. So the next part of the story in our hunt to discover true greatness in the kingdom of God. Here it is. Matthew 20, if you have your Bibles, verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. How many love a good mama? Picture it. She's before Jesus. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking. Never tell that to your mom, by the way. <clears throat> Only Jesus could tell that to a mom. <laughs> Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left, it's not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared by my father. Now, here's the thing. Here's what's interesting. Uh, strong evidence, if you read the other echo in Mark 10, that the boys put mama up to it. Okay, strong evidence. At least Mark's version just says James and John flat out, flat out asked. Okay, so they're not opposed to each other. But we, but we already saw James and John join Team Jesus. Look, look what happened. Going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James and John, son of Zebedee, ring a bell, mother of Zebedee, <clears throat> wife of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. So, I mean, if you're a mom, that's probably a big deal. Can we be honest? Like, this guy took my sons. This is the Bible. There's Bible. There's humans. Humans with emotions and emotions and real funkiness and relations and goofs and goofiness. So, not only did you take my sons, but now who's going to run dad's business? Now a father can't retire. So she had, she had a little bit of, of, uh, of uh, uh, maybe permission to ask Jesus, hey, you know, since you stole my sons, made them your disciples, and eventually they're going to be martyrs or uh, exiled on the Isle of Patmos, James and John, great future, bright future. 
for following Jesus, but what's the, just let them sit at your right or your left. They deserve it. I'm not, I think I'm doing a disservice to the text. I'm just saying this had to be in her mind. I don't think it's a stretch. They left their father and the family business in order to follow Jesus. And James of John must have had some exciting stories, you know, phoning home or writing home or writing home, whatever, or walking home probably of their three plus journey telling stories. Hey, that guy, you know, where we, we left dad's business and left everything to follow him for three, three, three and a half years. What's your five-year plan, son? We don't know. He's, we're just following the rabbi. <clears throat> Can you see it? It's a real story. These are real people. Imagine calling home and checking in with mom and just sharing the highlights from the story. Yeah, we cast out 50 demons on the last ministry trip. It was so sick. You know, 50 people were healed. All, you know, just read the Gospels. It's everywhere. And maybe mama thinks it's time to cash in. They're going to Jerusalem. What happens at Jerusalem? Kings are crowned. Coronation. This is our chance. Mom, ask him. You know, I know you're still upset. Dad's a little bit bummed maybe too. Let me sit at your right and your left. It, just, it doesn't take a genius to know that's the number two and three position of the kingdom. The man in the center is number one. If you're on his right and your left, you're two and three. It's a big ask. Mom, ask Jesus if we can. <laughs> no doubt she was influenced. We're going up to Jerusalem. Now's our chance. We're the sons of thunder after all. We belong to Jesus' right and left hand. And we all read this together. You don't know what you're asking. We've been leavened. Things have influenced our behavior. They've in, first, they've influenced our thinking, then our cravings, and then our behavior. Jesus' kingdom throughout has surprisingly and unexpectedly been different than anyone could have predicted. Now he's going to Jerusalem for coronation, but his throne will be a cross and his crown is made of thorns. And the cup he'll drink is the cup of suffering and death. Okay, I love this passage in Hebrews 2. We see Jesus who's made lower than angels for a little while. Now read it with me. Crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because he suffered death. Keep going. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Isn't that powerful? He had a cup to drink in Jerusalem. And bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Read it with me. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Jesus became the pioneer of salvation to restore our God-given destiny. He suffered death so that he could give us God's grace. He tasted death for us so that we could drink of his cup of mercy and grace. His intention was to restore us to God's original design, cleansing us from sin by providing the sacrificial death we needed for our sins. And Jesus already told his disciples, this was not only my lot, but for all of those who would follow me, they have a cross in their future as well. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? You have a cross to carry as well. Can you drink the cup of suffering too? James and John said, we can. 
Jesus tells them, you, you're, right, you're correct, James, you will be martyred. John, you'll be exiled on the island of Patmos for following me. But, but I, I'm not the one who gets to choose who's at my right and my left. Only my dad does, only my father. So we get, you get the backdrop? That's the backdrop. That was, that was the longest part of the message, I think. Because we're talking about what does it mean to be great? What does it mean to pursue a life of greatness? So we understand in that quest, we're going to bump, bump and be battered a bit by trying to discover because we realize we really have been formed our whole life to believe it looks like something that's actually different than what Jesus and Jesus modeled and Jesus declared it was. Amen. I love that story because it's just messy and it's messy for all of us. It's complex. It's hard, difficult. When the ten heard this, they were, they were indignant with the brothers. Jesus called together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Let's read this together. It's so good. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, the request of the mom via the boys via the mom caused a ripple. They're ticked off. A, probably because they're like, why didn't we ask first? You know that. Oh, they already beat us to it. We're on Jerusalem. Like, this is it. This is like the crowning moment. Here come. We got... Remember, they, it's not like they didn't have, uh, um, it's not like they didn't have an uh, uh, inkling, a permission to thank this. Jesus just told them they had 12 thrones. They're going to sit on thrones, right? But like, how many know in the kingdom to get to glory, you got to go to death and suffering. Before there's resurrection, there's crucifixion. Amen? This is always the way it is. Before like the big, powerful influence, someone's paying a secret price in obscurity with no eyes. This is just how the kingdom works. But they're ticked off. They're indignant with each other, and they wish, probably wish that they asked first. And Jesus cuts through all of their bickering, and he just lays the plumb line for kingdom greatness right through the mess of it. The, the, the infighting, he's like, guys, you've been leavened by the yeast of the Pharisees, Sadducees, and, and, and Herod. You, you, the only version of greatness and leadership and power you have is oh, power over over those lower than you, where you use your leadership to get what you want, that you care more about your own good and benefit than those you're leading. Anyone seen a leader that has been leavened by the Pharisees, Sadducees, and Herod in our time? Anyone? You're like, okay. Obviously not me. You're not thinking that. Maybe. The kind of leadership that says, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. All of leadership models the disciples were accustomed to were self-serving rulers who only cared what was in it for them. And so Jesus is there. They're having this discussion. He's already given them the child as the, 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 the lesson. Rich ruler was another big lesson. And now the, the mom, who the boys probably put up to, asking who's the greatest, and Jesus is like, it's none of the things you're thinking. Point blank, not so with you. This is not how leadership, this is not how power, this is not how greatness manifests itself in my kingdom. If you want to become great, become a servant. 
If you want to be at the front of the line, which actually matters in the age to come, willfully choose the end. If you want to become, uh, willfully choose the lowest position in this age, become a slave. Paul, one of his favorite words was this word doulos, this, this idea of a love slave, like the one who bankrupted heaven to win me. He's worthy of everything. I'm, I'm his love slave. What he says I'll do. I know that's uncomfortable for us, maybe in our generation, but it was inconceivable for Paul to have a half-hearted response to a wholehearted Messiah. Inconceivable. And so this language of becoming a servant, becoming a slave for us, again, like, like we're like the rich ruler. We're, so, we're, not, we're not used to A, being called that, certainly B, being treated like that. I'll never forget and, and when I worked at New Life years and years ago, there was a sweet lady who was in charge of the kitchen, and I was like the young guy on staff. She didn't know I was a pastor <clears throat> and just treated me like a, just, she treated me really bad, okay, like really bad like mean, and I wasn't handled. I was, was kind of giving her grief back, totally not respecting my elders. But I mean, like mean. Now, I'm not, I'm, not being, I'm not falsely preaching here. This is true. And then someone walks in, and the kitchen where I'm serving as a professional paid servant pastor, <clears throat> and they're like, oh, hey, Pastor Chad. And I saw her look on her face. She was like, I just knew I'll never get over that lesson that um, we all like the idea of, of being servants until we're treated like one. Amen. So this is not Pastor Chad saying, hey, all of you take the lowly position. This is hard stuff. I want to be at the front of the line. I want people to know me. I want people to see me. And Jesus is like, I mean, in the Sermon on the Mount, like if, if you want public applause now, that's all the reward you get. That's what he told them, right? When you pray, go in your room, close the door. When you do things to be seen and affirmed by others, that doesn't mean there's not a place for healthy affirmation, healthy community, healthy encouragement, because there is a place for that in the kingdom. But when that drives your ambition, when it drives your motivation, then all you're going to get is what they can give you and no more. But if we'll become servants, if we'll become, he says, slaves. I love that this translation, that's the word. It's slave. Servants are a little too light. So if you, you, I want to so change your nature that you're irreparably damaged for the rest of your life. When you think of greatness, you think what I modeled for you. Which, what did he model for us in John 13? Knowing the Father put all things under his power, he knew he came from God, was returning to the Father. He got low, disrobed, and washed feet. Now that I, verse 15 of John 13, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have done this, you too will be blessed. I've set you a pattern that you would follow after. That's why Jesus is the greatest person, leader, king, because everything he calls us to do, he did first. Isn't that awesome? Why, why would Jesus call this, us to this kind of life of service? Why would he do this? Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, and to, but, to be, to, but to serve and to give his life, because Jesus called us to follow him. Amen? As he is, 1 John 2, 6, so are we to be and become in this life. As he is, those who claim to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Here's the key principle. Jesus' greatness would be given to him as a vindicating gift from his father only after he obeyed his will. 
That's a meaty slide. Think about it. Jesus' greatness, the greatness that was coming upon him, would be given. He, didn't, he wasn't going to take it. He wasn't going to strong arm to it. It would be a gift the Father would give him after he obeyed his will. Chad, what are you talking about? Well, let's read it. I'll read it. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes Jesus, this is talking about the Messiah, though he makes his son's life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. Here it is. Watch this. Therefore, say it with me, therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many and he made intercession for the transgressors. For Jesus, the greatness that was coming for him was going to be a vindicating gift that the father would give after he obeyed him all the way to the cross. What if you and I could trust the Father with the reward and we could trust the Son in His yoke and by His Spirit's power to be formed in His image and likeness that the greatness that is coming before us is far greater than any sacrifice in this age. Any amount of suffering, any amount of difficulty, it's worth it. Look at this. I will give Him a portion among the great. Isn't that awesome? significantly, everything the devil tempted Jesus with, Jesus would eventually possess. The the temptation narrative in Matthew 4 is Jesus getting at greatness without a cross. Jesus getting and arriving at his intended destiny without going through the cross and doing it the Father's way. And beloved, because we are in Christ, the same narrative arc that Jesus followed is the narrative arc we follow. You want to go high? Go low. You want to be rich? Give generously. You want to be somebody great? Serve in obscurity. Play the long game of sacrificial love and cross-shaped, sacrificial service and cross-shaped love. In my Bible reading this week, I was reading through Mark's gospel, and this hit me. This is so familiar. You could just roll your eyes and say, I already know this, but I'll read it again because you need to know it again. What shall the kingdom of God, what is it like, Jesus said in Mark 4? What parable shall I describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. And this is what got me this week. I don't know why. I didn't bold it. I should have bolded it. When it was, but when it's planted, say, when it's planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. The smallest seed, leads to the largest garden plant only when it's planted. And I know, I, I, I don't think this is, I think when Jesus said this is the way the kingdom works, I think this applies to kingdom greatness. If we'll be planted, again, we, a lot of us love the idea of service and, and, and um, sacrifice, but we abandon the project before we see the fruit because sometimes it just stinks. Can we be honest? Washing feet isn't that fun. Turning the other cheek, going two miles, giving shirt and coat. Can we be honest? Doing the kingdom stuff, it doesn't, here's the thing. 
don't grow weary in doing good is Paul's admonition to, to the Galatian believers. If you sow to the Spirit, you will reap an eternal reward. But there is always going to be a test to abandon the, the project of doing life in the kingdom in the Spirit of Jesus in the, ne- in, in the name of immediate gratification. But I love this. When that little seed is planted and we leave it in that soil, it will eventually grow and give life and abundance to those around us only when it's planted. And for many of us, I grew up in a big church in Kansas City. I remember going on mission trips, and so I would think of service as an occasional thing I would do. Anybody else? Like, I'm going to go serve for an hour, and then the rest of my life was self-absorbed and whatever I wanted, right? And so we would go to mission trips, and I've seen some funny memes. I was thinking about having a video to show you, but it would have derailed the message because you would have died laughing, of this kid making fun of uh, modern mission trips. And I, I, I'm not here to make fun of modern. I'm, I've been on a fair share where we eventually get into serving people on the third day after a little vacation. But anyway, service has been one of the things in our lives, kind of like going on a mission trip or a serve project. And I am not against those. Those can be leavened to help us become servants. But, but so often they can just be like, oh, I'm something I go and do. Because many of us, if we're honest, we live compartmentalized lives. Anybody else besides me struggle with that? Like, this is that part of my life, and this is that part of my life. But the kind of greatness that Jesus has in mind is not a one-off, but it's a chosen and slowly cultivated operating system for all of our lives, that we would be a people of service. Are you tracking with me? We would view, we're serving God and his purposes where? everywhere. When? All the time. With who? Anyone that's in front of you. Even in my household? Yeah, even in your household. This is a side note. I am... (laughs) Luke tells a story of two servants. One guy, when the master says, go do something, he's like, sure, I'll do it. And later he doesn't do it. And then the other guy says, I'm not going to do it. But later he changes his mind. In my marriage, and when it comes to housework, I'm always the second servant. You can ask my wife, I'll get it done, but my usual answer in selfishness is no, but then I always have the Holy Spirit say, hey, knucklehead. So, but at least I have a reward coming, so get over it. (laughs) Because the second one gets the kudos in Luke's little mini parable. It's the guy who said no at first and then eventually changed his mind, realized greatness is service, and it starts in your house, Chad. It starts in your marriage. Come on, did I hit anybody right there? Okay, I hit me. Yesterday, a lot of dishes yesterday in the Bohai house. It sounds small, but listen, it's these small things done over a long period of time that make us look and love like Jesus. It's not the big things. I'm, I love encounters. I've had encounters with God that have changed my life, but it's these small choices where the leaven of greatness in the kingdom of God changes us into new people. We're 5, 10, 20 years down the road when our, hopefully when my wife looks at me, she's like, You're nothing like who you were when I married you. You were egotistical, self-absorbed. You wanted me to be just like you. Now you're starting to barely resemble Jesus. But I'll take that testimony. That's what I'm playing for. This stuff isn't a theory. This is real time and real messy relationships where we have an option. Be served or serve. Take or give. Amen? Oh, that's good stuff. Woo! We're almost done. Um, I'm not going to labor here, but this whole passage that I'm going to skip because it's, it's a bit meaty, 
the whole point that why you have apostles, pastors, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers is to equip the church. I love that the NRSV translate this. It's ergon. It's singular for the work of ministry. That word ministry is the same word for serve, servant, to be a servant. Did you know the entire, my entire job is to so paint a big, beautiful kingdom picture with Christ on his throne at the center. All of us called to carry our crosses, but my whole job is to equip you for the singular work to give your life away in ministry to the king and his kingdom. That's it. That means in your workplace, in your world, in your finances, your friendships. I love this. That's the accurate Greek. It's the ergon. It's the, it's the work of ministry within the church and outside in the world. That you and I, why would Paul be so gripped by this? Because he was a doulos. He viewed himself as a, the slave of the one who emptied, who died to ransom, to rescue himself, rescue him to himself. And so the whole job, when we get together, our first ministry is to worship, second, equipping, third, empower and release and mobilize for ministry. Worship, equipping, mobilize for ministry. In your life, and your workplace, in your world. And the best place you learn to serve out there is by learning to serve in here. Did you know that? Like, I, I, first of all, did you know that? <laughs> That's it. We learn, like this, is the, like this is the place we learn how to hear God's voice and pray for each other. This is the place that should be the safe place we learn how to start testifying, like what's God doing in your life? This should be the place where I can start discovering like different gifts and things that make me tick and how I can serve you by using those gifts. But the whole point, the Aragon of Diakonos is of, of spiritual leadership is to equip. And the, the language is the setting of a bone. It's like a bone that's off. It's the so that every ligament and joint and body part is properly aligned to the head, Jesus. Amen? And then we'll no longer be tossed back and forth. You see that? Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. I will read this part. From him, the whole body is joined and knit together by every, say every, ligament with which it is equipped as each part is working properly, promoting the body's growth and the building itself up in love. This is my job. I, I don't do it. I got a long way to go, but it's to equip the saints for the work of ministry, that we together would cultivate the mindset and servant lifestyle of Jesus. <sighs> I got through it. In here, within the body, and out there in service for the sake of the king and his kingdom. You and I are in the ministry of serving because we're in the body of Christ. That's not a stretch of the imagination. That is theologically true. He's the head of the body, and he is the master servant. <laughs> you see that? Uh, for who is greater, Jesus said. Same, same account, different gospel. The one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Christ is always among us as one who serves. Did you know that? He's, a, he's the number one servant. You might be saying today, how do I actually become a servant? By thinking about it over and over. No, the only way to become a servant is by going through the cross where we deny the self so as so that we can become available to serve God and other people. It's that big thing called self. 
Anyone ever encountered the self? (laughs) And the only way through is by introducing that thing once and ongoing to the cross. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He died, I wrote this this morning, I love this sentence. He died to free us from sin and self and then form us into servants like himself. He died to free us from our sin and ourselves and then to form us into servants like himself. This is a little simple tool. I love this kind of stuff. You know me long enough. I love these slides, this slide especially. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. What does it say? Daily and follow me. A disciple is a lifelong student. Deny what? The self-life. How often? Daily. This is to become our operational reality in the kingdom of God. And you might think to yourself, um, well, first of all, we're doing great. (laughs) Sorry, in that app that I changed slides with, I don't get to see the time. (laughs) And now I have to get the app back open. (laughs) Hold on. Why is Jesus so adamant that we have to deny ourselves so that we can experience life in his kingdom? Because this is what the self that hasn't met the cross looks like. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual morality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, those who, say it with me, live like this. So this is their operational reality, the self. What I want, my flesh. You won't inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so first of all, that list makes love and relationship impossible. Can I get an amen? Many of us are trying to get a kingdom fruit, but we're operating out of fleshly self-reality. You're not going to get the fruit if the root and the reality of your inner world hasn't been ravished by the goodness and glory of God and transformed by his grace through the gospel. Did you know you don't have to live that life? Can someone say amen? The, The way out of that life is, like we said, the way through the cross, and by the Spirit. There's another way to be human, and we need a new spirit to experience it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Read verse 24 with me. It's the key. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The only way to get to grow this kind of fruit is through cross-carrying self-denying, sacrificial love. So Jesus, I love it. I mean, he could have just destroyed those disciples for their question. You, you, who, what are you thinking? Now, there are other times when he does get them head on. But here, he goes through the mess of what is greatness? What is power? What does it look like to wield influence? And what does it look like to lead in your kingdom, Jesus? Let us sit at your right or your left. He breaks through that. And he's like, I know that's the version and vision of leadership you've seen around you, but I'm modeling, I'm going to make available in my grace a different kind of living and leading true greatness through self-emptying sacrificial service. And it's only, listen, it's only by denying ourselves that we experience that kind of life. I wish there was another way. God. 
I'm almost, listen, I'm dead serious. I'm so serious. This is just honest, 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 honest. It's almost like everything I don't want to do as it pertains to something that's good, I should just do. The thing I don't want to do, just do, and you'll probably grow in kingdom virtue and, 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 and vitality. I'm dead serious. So obviously, like, don't look at that. Don't, don't, like, not the big, bad, the sins. Yes, deny that. Don't do that. But like, anything, I'm like, oh, I'll get around to it. What if we were the kind of community that's like, just, just do it. Dive in and, and uh, fumble your way into Christ-like maturity by learning to deny yourself. When? Daily. With who? Everyone. <sighs> but this is the greatness. Listen, we all want greatness, I promise. We want what's on the other end of self-denying, cross-carrying. We do, because it's life to the full. It's 100x in this age, Mark 10, and in the age to come. We want that. We want, how many want a 100x to legacy to leave your kids and grandkids someday? All of us want this. So it's not like Jesus is like, oh, but, and he's pulling a trick on us. He just knows the only way you'll experience it is if you let me change your operational reality from self-entitled to sacrificial servant. That's the only way you'll, you'll find yourself in, into greatness. Who, how do you need to respond today? These are the, these are the closing questions. How, how many need to consider again the, cro- the cross being the answer, not just for their sin, because it is for that. He died to rance, forgive us, heal us, but he also went to the cross so that our disordered self could be put back together, patterned after the, true, the, true, the truly human one, Jesus Christ. Imagine if our whole community, meaning our little church, said yes to carrying the cross together. I wrote this, and this is pastoral hope. How irresistible to be in the company of self-emptying, cross-carrying, sacrificial lovers who give their lives away in joyful service to the king and his kingdom. And think right now, you, this is big practical. What kind of power, platform, and position has the Lord currently given you? Think about your family, your friendship, your workplace, and world. Think right now, what kind of agency do you have? Who do you oversee? What kind of power do you wield? That those are gifts given to steward for God's purposes. And begin to think, do you view yourself, even if you, like, if you have power over those people or over, in that place, do you view yourself as, as one who bears power to bring blessing and benefit others, or is it all about you? A few more questions, just to think about how to practically land the plane. Are you levering, leveraging your agency to bless and build others up? Or have you lost sight of the call to pursue a life of service? I'm thinking about all these questions myself. How, am I, how do I view power? How am I using it in my home, in, my, in, my, in our church, and in our world? Let's go after this together. There you go. That's your last influ- inspirational slide. Let's do it. We want to be a great church, and a great church is full of those who say yes to the cross who want to become like Jesus, the greatest among us, who served and emptied himself. Uh, the, the quintessential passage in closing that describes how this actually works in a community is in Philippians 2. There's not a better way to land the plane, in my humble opinion. So just listen to these words and then go memorize Philippians 2 later this week. I'm dead serious. I had to memorize it in college. I still got it. 
it's a great passage because it, it, it shows the entire narrative arc of Jesus in one little, one little chunk of Scripture. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship in his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, this is Paul writing to a church, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same, there it is again, mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So for Paul, for the apostles, for Jesus, what Jesus modeled for us was not just a life we're meant to admire, but a life we're meant to imitate and model our, our lives after. He appreciates admirers, but you know what he loves more? Those who would abide in him and follow and be transformed to live like he lived. And many of us are at the very beginning of that journey, but praise God, he, if we'll say yes once and ongoing to his leadership, before you know it, you and I just might start looking like Jesus. How many want to look like Jesus, live like Jesus, love like Jesus this week? There's hope for us. Oh, by the way, I left off the best part of that passage. Therefore, you know, because it's not all just forever emptying yourself, go low. That's a part of it. We live out of that. But he says, therefore, God gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Amen. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So would you stand to your feet as we respond to the gospel today? And I just want you to bring uh, right now, just maybe you want to surrender th th those areas that you, God has given you power and authority and, and agency. He's given you a position. Don't think super large. Think really big in your marriage, in your friendship with your friend, at, that you, your, your roommate, your colleague at work. Just begin to say, Lord, what would it look like to be so changed by the cross, by your grace, by your spirit, that I would view myself in that position as a servant of you for your glory and for the good of others? And just right now, let's just spend a half a minute or so and just say, Lord, give me a new mindset in my family, with my friends, and in my workplace and world. Let me think out of a kingdom mindset true kingdom greatness. And just spend a second. I know, I know it's, it's noisy a little bit, but just, and just say, Lord, help me to leverage what you've given me to bless and build others up this week. God, I just thank you today that the disciples ask all the questions for us. Praise God. We get to learn from their mistakes and ours. That so often what we think of greatness is not what you have modeled and what you've called us to do. But thank you that today you, you invite us into your story again. 
to carry our cross, to deny ourselves, and to follow you. And you said, Lord, that you've come, not just that we would uh, deny ourselves and carry our cross, but you've come that as we say yes to that, you've promised life more abundant than we could ever ask or imagine according to your power that's at work within us. God, I pray that our church, I pray this week you would bless us as we serve you and as we serve one another. I pray, God, that you would come upon us with great power and grace, that we would this week, 2 Corinthians 2, 14, we would spread the knowledge of the aroma of Christ and his fragrance as we serve him and as we serve you and we serve each other this week. God, let us get caught up in your great story of redemption. I thank you so much that as you've modeled for us, you call all of us today, follow me, follow me. And as you follow, I'm gonna transform you. Jesus, thank you. Would you send us from this place so full of hope, so full of anticipation that, Lord, serving you is the greatest honor in all of eternity to get to participate in your kingdom. In Jesus' mighty name, we all said amen. Amen. Love you guys. If you want prayer, come on up. If not.